2: Even guarantees aren't guaranteed. Like I guarantee you, once Ed retires, he'll never come back in the studio. But Ed Fink joins us along with Amy Wagner. I'm Nathan listening. I'm
1: glad that guarantee wasn't a good one.
2: Mm -hmm. And you are listening to Simply Money. Much has not changed since Ed last left the studio. We got news and some of it involves people losing their jobs. General Electric announcing today at least that their pensions may be lost. uh, Freezing their pension for about 20,000 U.S. employees and also offering pension buyouts to 100,000 former employees. Now, th-
3: this doesn't, by the way, thank you for allowing me to be another, just another pretty face here on the radio. But I didn't say uh, that. I, I, I'm I might filling have in for you. I well, might have
1: actually well begged. big fella.
3: <laughs> I'm filling in for you here. You know, any time that a major employer starts talking about they're going to mess around with pensions, um, the first thing you think of is retirees, well, one thing is is abundantly clear here: people who are um, ex already GE employees, retirees, already on benefit, doesn't affect them. But there's a whale of a lot of people who it does affect.
1: Well, and you have to remember too: GE has the worst pension deficit in all of corporate America. When you look back, and you know, growing up here in Cincinnati. If someone worked for GE or Procter & Gamble, you were, you were immediately in awe because that person had the best job. And then you watched that Procter was able to sort of maintain that status all of these years. And then for those of us who you know still know and love General Electric, man, these are hard times.
2: Yeah, and, and the writing on the wall here, if you, you want to talk about being the worst offender in terms of underfunding your pension, at least this side of a state government when it comes to uh, their uh, pension system, GE, $27 billion uh, underfunded. That is a lot of money. And the CEO, Larry Culp, made sure a priority would be to pay down debt. So GE closed the pension plan to new participants in 2012. Uh, These changes, by the way, will cut about $8 billion out of that $27 billion deficit. But they still got a, a, a ways to go. We'll also cut the company's debt by $6 billion on Monday. It said moves in the past month will cut $9 billion in debt already. So, you know, somebody pays and somebody benefits. That's what always happens when we give you a headline.
1: Well, what this is doing, what GE is doing is what so many other companies have done. That that guaranteed benefit of the pension that my grandfather and many of your grandfathers and maybe a few of you are lucky enough to have today has gone by the wayside. It's so much easier for these companies to put a small percentage into your 401k and then move right along because then your retirement isn't on them.
3: Well, and something else that was easy in the past that to some degree uh, or maybe was a major contributor to to this whole problem is that when it came time to kind of get into discussions with employees about the total compensation package, it became a, kind of an easy thing to make a future promise. Well, we're going to give you X number of dollars depending on the number of years worked and your salary and all the rest at some indeterminate point in time in the future as opposed to an, a, an immediate pay raise right now. And it was just part of the overall package. But as a company, they really didn't have to worry about it because they could assume certain results, certain returns on, on the money that they were setting aside. And when those returns didn't come in, and that's where they came up with the huge deficit.
1: Well, they were overly optimistic. I mean, when you talk about how times have changed, right? The good old days, uh, you know, in the 80s, yields on a 10-year treasury could you could have expected on average maybe 14%. Now it's like one and a half percent. Yeah. So when you are taking out the risk of these pensions, you're you're you know assuming certain percentage that you're going to get, and we're not getting anywhere close to that. That's what these companies are up against. And when
2: GE says they have a $27 billion shortfall, let's be clear about one thing. You have a piece of that shortfall as well, because when it comes to guarantees, if you're thinking, wow, what will happen to my pension? Consider this. The pensions are guaranteed by the federal government and the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation to a total of 67295 If you're in a multi-employer plan, you've only got a guarantee that that benefit will be good by the government. That means taxpayers paying the bill to $12,870. If you have a pension and it's more than 67295 I would say two things to you. Good news is... And don't plan necessarily on getting any more than that unless you know a whole lot more about the company that you work for than many people seem to have known about General Electric before they started getting certainly the bad news. You're listening to Simply Money. The voice you hear, an old and familiar, well, not old, but a familiar one that you haven't heard a in a while. And a favorite, an old favorite. <laughs> an old, and, no, <laughs> We're not using the old word today. It would be Ed is Ed Fink, uh, one of the co-founders of Simply Money, as he joins Amy Wagner and me, as we have a Monday romp through the news for you. We're talking about General Electric failed pensions, what this means moving forward, and some of the whys, and one of the reasons why low interest rates killed pensions, And that in and of itself has created a $1 trillion in aggregate unfunded liabilities.
3: Well, let's touch on that for just a moment, because on its servers, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would low interest rates kill kill the pension? Well, because if you're assuming a much greater rate of return, it means you as an employer do, do not have to put as much money in each year to meet your obligations because you're assuming the money that's already in there is growing at a certain amount to offset those contributions you'd make. When it doesn't grow at that level, that's where the deficit starts coming in. So one of the things that that now is, is going to be a big decision point for our current employees is there's going to be options uh, right now of lump sum, uh, especially for retirees who haven't taken taken benefit yet.
1: One thing that you have always said, Ed, when it comes to write a lump sum, whether it is from a pension, a distribution, an inheritance, you win the lottery, whatever it is, this is a know-thyself sort of scenario.
3: Well, this is the mirror test. Uh, you have to say, if my employer gave me a huge lump sum right now in lieu of a guaranteeing me and my spouse income for the rest of our lives is that money still going to be around in three or four or five years or even more importantly 20 or 30 years down the road uh, when my spouse may still be alive, even though I may not be in the picture anymore. And, and if you look in the mirror and you think, you know, I really don't trust myself to, to marshal this correctly, to, to do that, then maybe the choice isn't the lump sum.
2: Nice. Maybe the way of putting it in nice simple words is can you, can you keep your grubby little hands off of it and let somebody else give you some advice so that you don't wind up spending sure. yourself broke much earlier than you might think. GE, of course, uh, deciding that uh, they're going to take a new approach. In some respects, for younger employees, over time, probably if they have discipline and patience, this will be a good solution. GE is going to start contributing 3% of eligible pay. That will go right into the 401k, I'm sure, with the vesting plan. Plus, they will match 50% of what you, if you work for GE, uh, will be putting away, up to a total of an additional 8%. So 4% uh, in a match if you put in a total of 8 3% they're putting in, so you put in 8 They'll put in a total of seven. I tell you something, at 15%, you're getting pretty darn close to the Simply Money rule. Put away this much money and you'll be doing okay. So maybe we should give some kudos to GE for at least saying, okay, moving forward, you do your part, we'll do our part, but this is certainly going to be a shared experiment.
1: Well, and I think it's trending that way, right? I mean, for now, it's what, close to 15%, but five years from now, 10 years from now. I think the interesting thing for so many people who choose careers In a lot of cases, it's based on a pension like this. You know, I mean, I live in the state of Kentucky, which has the worst pension deficit of any state. Uh, And and there are so many teachers and firefighters and people in law enforcement who chose that career partially um, because they knew that they were going to be taken care of later in life. I mean, I don't know how many people work for General Electric that would be impacted by that. But... This was a this is a decision maker for a lot of people when choosing where you're going to work and what career field you're going to go into.
2: Well, so I, lo- I love the engineers at General Electric. I worked there and went when at one point. You did, the, yeah, yeah. When went uh, at Do you one have point, a big fat
1: pension coming your way?
2: About five ten bucks a month, I think. But <laughs> um, you know, uh, the one thing I'll say about an engineer working on a jet engine that's a little different from a school teacher who gets up early in the morning and works with your kids and parents all day long, or for a first responder is that I think I would rather have a 1st responder. response—I'd rather have a paramedic show up at a uh, at a, a, a catastrophe than an engineer. So, you know, they have both have do important things for society, but we have a social compact that we've made with a lot of people, and I will tell you who's going to ultimately fund it is going to be you. So look at your pensions, get a clear understanding of how your pension functions, how it is funded, what could or could not happen to it, make sure you're working with a financial professional that can understand what it could mean and be realistic about what those incomes are likely to be like when you get to retirement. Simple Money Point, General Electric freezing and cutting pensions is a good reminder that retirement ultimately is always your responsibility. So where are the talks going with the General Motors strike ending anytime soon? Haven't heard a lot. All of a sudden the news may be not so good. The latest, that's just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station.
0: Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.
2: You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrag along with Ed Fink. Joining us is Amy Wagner. What? Is that how? No, I've got Amy Wagner in the studio. You're stuck and- with
1: me every day. And Ed I- is back for a special. I'm just, I'm just
2: a pretty face sitting
1: <laughs> he in here He is.
2: Yep. Lots of people ask, what's happened to the retired guy? Well, yes, his name is Ed Fink, <laughs> and he is back here. And that We is- begged him out of retirement. That's him chortling in the background, I must say. Ed's doing well. Ginger Baker, the the uh, drummer. From the band Cream that was started in 1966, not doing so well. He passed away today at the age of 80. I, having been a drummer in my youth, really appreciate a guy who can work two bass drums at the same time. In today's tax environment, uh, there's one money move that you best consider. We'll take a deeper look at that just ahead at 643, the General Motors strike. It now enters its fourth week. If you thought this was... Uh, going to be short-lived, maybe because uh, the uh, union members were getting 250 a week instead of, on average, 650 a week. Well, uh, it seems it is able to stretch on longer than maybe anybody's patience may have thought. And the union leader, one of the union leaders saying today, uh, the strike has now taken a turn for the worse as United Auto workers have rejected General Motors' last offer.
1: You know, I remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about this in the studio, and you said, I think this is going to be over soon. I mean, we thought it was going to wrap up. This is kind of like the trade negotiations with China. Every time we think we're getting close yeah. to, you know, I mean, there's there's some that. similarities here. Like, OK, we are, you know, we are getting ready to sign this on the dot. Oh, never mind. Never mind. So let's look at exactly um, what the United Auto Workers are, work, are fighting for here. They say fair wages, affordable health care. Profit sharing across the company. So what GE has done over the past several years is kind of bring on temporary workers. And they make up, I think it's like 10% of the entire workforce there, The th- more than 30 plants that they have. And then those people don't get any of the profit sharing. They don't get the hourly wage that everyone else does, yet they're doing the same work. So this is what kind of this has all come down to.
3: Well, look, General Motors is in global competition, and this is what it's come down to for the last generation, is when a product can be produced somewhere else at a lower cost, And all of a sudden, that's where the market tends to go, and that's where people tend to buy the product from, because it tends to be a little cheaper. So this is a very difficult situation for General Motors. I mean, manufacturing in this country used to be the predominant number of jobs. Now it only makes up about 15%, but still very important, because in the case of General Motors, for every individual job on the line there, or within within the factory, there's seven jobs uh, in the community that depend upon it. So the fact that having this slowdown here at a point in time when when the jobs report that was out just last Friday showed a weakness that was kind of underreported which is two months in a row of contraction in manufacturing now all of a sudden you know this is an area that has uh, is in a bit of a slippery slope
2: you love carburetors and you love mufflers in your automobiles and I will give it to you in one word it's all about electric and general motors pretty much admitted it by saying one of the plants they have closed they would put a battery uh, production facility but when the union started to take a look around and said, well, how many people are going to be in there?
3: And how much are they going to get paid?
2: Everywhere you look, electric. It takes less parts in a car, it takes less people to put them together. That means less jobs. Electric may be what ultimately changes the whole fabric and face of manufacturing. You'll listen to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack, along with Amy Wagner and our special guest, the now retired guy. That would be Edward <laughs> J. Fink. When you left this studio, one of the last things you said as you waved on the way out the door, Ed, was, yep, there's only one thing, one thing that worries you as a retired guy now who has to make sure that his investments do what his labor is used to, and that was the two words, trade war. How you feeling now, Bunky? I feel
3: the same way that I felt all along, that I felt through my entire career. There's no winners in trade wars. I mean, it sounds easy, and it sounds simple, and it sounds like, you know, well, well, we'll just charge somebody else to bring their product in our country and that'll create more jobs there, except it doesn't work that way in an interconnected global economy because even if you're manufacturing in a particular country, the chances are very slim that all the components that go into whatever it is you're making, whether it's a car or whether it's a cell phone, all come from that same country. So if if you're if, if some of the components coming in, or have a tax put on them, and make no mistake about it, that's what a trade war is about. It's about taxes, and taxes that are paid by the consumer of those products, not by the country that's sending the the product uh, in. That's going to increase the expense of that product, and it's going to slow things down. And that's what we're seeing around the globe right now, is a general slowdown, and it's starting to reflect itself back here, too.
1: Sometimes I hate when you're right, because I remember after the last election, the economy was going gangbusters, and it looked like nobody could do anything wrong. And, and, and Ed, you sat in that very seat, and you said, I'm going to tell you something that could keep me up at night. It's the possibility of a trade war. Well, then you fast forward, what, a year or two, uh, and here we are in the middle of one, and what we're seeing is signs of a slowdown. You know, do, do you as a consumer, how much confidence do you have in this economy? economy? Economy going forward, all of these things playing out in the trade war. You said there are no winners, but you're wrong, actually, because. Turns out if you are an expert in trade in some capacity, you are the winner. According to LinkedIn, uh, those of you who are changing your title in order to be kind of an expert in this realm uh, are going through the roof right Think now. about how <laughs>
3: stupid that is, Amy. Think about how... So these companies are, are now having to hire, rather than people who are research and development, people or are engineers who are creating great new products that to sell, they're they're having to hire trade experts that come in to, to read the tea leaves. As far as what the next move is going to be in trade, that's where, you know, where some of the, the the better paying jobs are right now. But it does absolutely nothing to improve that company or to improve the product that's being put out. Well, I don't know
1: why you say that, because I just changed my title on LinkedIn as we were sitting here. <laughs> Amy Wagner, consumer, financial reporter and trade, trade expert. expert. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I had a friend. Uh, I have a friend uh, in another city who is the uh, corporate uh, general counsel for a very large private company. He was telling me I, I followed his journeys as he would run to washington six months ago and he came back one from one trip and said well we talked to the senator and that senator, and yeah we finally get we're, we're going to be one of the exceptions we're not going to be part of the uh, uh the, the trade uh, war sanctions whatever you'd like to call it well then all of a sudden everybody's lobbying off throwing in the wastebasket and everybody i said well, how's it going now i said hey We're charging uh, more for our products just like everybody else because we've got tariffs. Uh, When does this slow down business? Don't know. But I will tell you, it slowed down China. That slowed down, among other places, Germany, which sends a lot of uh, uh, manufacturers and sends a lot of things to China. We're all... And, by the
3: way, buys a lot of things from us, too. And if they yeah. have less money, income coming in, it's fewer things they're going to buy from us, whether it's goods or services.
2: The great lie, you, you can you can believe it or not, as we tell you, this world is interconnected. You go it alone to a point, but you don't go it alone forever. There is no such thing as a perpetual motion economic machine that can sustain itself without having something to do with the rest of the world and right now we are teetering. We're in a very interesting situation because, remember, the Federal Reserve Fed has been re- lowering interest rates to try and adjust for the fact that if it were not for the Fed, maybe we would be starting to go towards recession and we would be just like the rest of our neighbors. But there will come a point, I'm sure, when the uh, Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell will go, oh, uh, look, guys, I can only can do what I can do.
1: Yeah, nothing left in that toolbox. Going back to the um, directors of trade compliance, because I think this is worth noting as the winner in the trade war, you want to go into that field or you've got kids who are in college right now, a director of trade compliance, average pay about 175 grand, <laughs> and like a few Brave years ago, world, it huh? wasn't even a thing.
2: And this is uh, what you, uh, you 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 may have been missing. So if you like stats class, I guess it's probably good. Mm. Uh, and, and a tweet over the weekend, by the way, from the Houston Rockets reminded them that, uh, or should I say, uh, provoked China to remind the National Basketball Association, uh, yo uh, guys we are a big consumer of your products. What is there, like 300 million people who follow the NBA? More people that follow the NBA in China they don't have citizens in the United States.
3: Isn't it interesting all of a sudden the NBA is worried about what people in the NBA are saying? I mean, they <laughs> haven't in the past. No, they've kind tell. of been known for exactly. the fact that they
1: let people speak openly. Yep. I think right now the NBA is trying to figure out are they uh, speaking for the home team or the away team because statutes and toes and a comment about Hong Kong, China pushed back against that, Then they came out and supported With lucky
2: landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the
1: China, and now people here in the United States are saying, wait a second, what's the problem? Wouldn't want to be in that sticky situation. Yeah, and
2: of course, the Houston Rockets were the team that had Yao Ming, who is this towering center, who really was the first uh, uh, basketball player to come out of China and say, hey, you know, we can play ball over here. Well, they can play basketball, but it seems when it comes to trade, they're still having a hard time playing ball and not stealing technology. We'll see how that plays out. Just ahead at 634, Ed Fink discusses retirement From his unique perspective, you're listening to Simply Money. You're listening to Simply Money. That is Ed Fink's theme song. I'm Nathan Backrack along with Amy Wagner, and Ed joins us in the studio as we discuss retirement, because as retirement goes, you now am one of those people, Ed. So, what is your first observation as you've gotten into retirement that now that you're there, forget the perfection of theory, we have the mess of reality. You wake up in the morning and nobody's saying I'll what tell time you're you going to be in.
3: I'll tell you what, what my what my, my first reaction is, and it goes back to something that a lady told me uh, 20, 30 years ago as a definition of retirement. She said, I'll tell you what retirement is, and this was a lady already retired. She said Time of too little money and too much husband. Is that what Nancy Fink is saying about that's you? That's what I'm saying. The one, of the, one of the first things that hit me is, all of a sudden, Nancy has this routine that she's been in her entire life. And now, all of a sudden, I'm wandering around You're in the background. You're all in her business. Cre- cre- yeah, exactly. Creating interference and asking questions and doing stuff. So, you know, you have to understand very clearly that, especially, uh, you know, whether, whether your spouse was in the workplace or at home, that they had their own, their own uh, routine that they're involved in. You have to kind of understand how you're going to fit in with that. But I'll tell you the other thing is this. You know, we, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, I spent my entire career working with people pre- preparing for retirement. Of course, now I am here. And one of the things we said is everybody approaches retirement differently because everybody has kind of a different mindset. And if you're the type of person, and you know if you are, who, whose makeup requires that you have a very structured life, then when you hit retirement, that structure is gone. I mean, so at least from the standpoint of somebody else structuring it for you, so you have to come to the realization that either you have to structure it yourself, or you have to figure out something else to do where where you're involved with the organizations that are structuring it for you. In my case, I refer to myself as blissfully unscheduled.
1: That sounds lovely. Because to me. I.
3: Don't, I'm not the type, type person who requires that structure. I can get up and figure out what I want to do and do it, or do nothing for that matter. Let me ask and you And that's fine, but that doesn't work for everybody.
1: Well, is there a typical day? Like, can you say this is a typical day for me in retirement, or is well, there no typical? Well,
3: one one the, there probably is no typical day, but, you know, a couple things that you take into retirement with you or passions that you have, or hobbies that you have. And a, a couple of things that, that I've always done through my entire working career, and now in retirement, is I've been a lifetime runner, mm-hmm. and I've been a lifetime photographer. Uh, and, and I have more time to devote to both of those. For instance, from the standpoint of running, my, my daughter Ashley and I took up the Run the Year Challenge at the first of the year. And what that was was for the year 2019 to run 2,019 miles in 2019. Wow. So we we signed up as a two-person team, and 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 the the organization that puts us on suggests you have up the five-member team. So we said, well, we'll do a two-person team. We'll run 2019 miles. Well, we we blasted through that in seven and a half months.
1: That's amazing. N-
3: now I had enough time to do that though, which I would not have had had I had the structure of coming into work.
1: So it, what was the average like mile run? I was, like- it
2: was a, I I was running six, seven, eight miles wow. a day. Wow. Um, so uh, for so the most a, part. So here's a couple things you learned. One thing in successful retirement, you have got to stay active. If, exactly. there is, if there is Absolutely. One word, if yep. there's one yep. word that is that, that you should blazon on the front of any planning document you have, is the word "move." You got to get up every day. You got to move. You got to stay active. And, it doesn't and necessi- you're moving.
3: And it doesn't necessarily have to be that type of intense exercise, but doing something. Because the other thing that, that I am is is a lifetime photographer. And I spent a lot of time doing it. It's something I love doing. And in retirement, I have a lot more hours to to kind of figure out things I wasn't able to figure out in the past and try some creative things. And it's just been an outlet for me um, uh, that, to me anyway, has been like therapy. So between the running and the photography, at least so far now, it's only been nine months, you know, Mm -hmm. nine and a half months. But um, I don't feel like I require that structure in my life that I always had in the past. But
2: if you do, you better be careful because the statistics now say very clearly, if you are someone who needs to be out and active and once you retire, you are not out and active. Social isolation is as dangerous to your health as obesity. You can be slim. But if you wind up withdrawing, you don't get the human contact that you need, you will find that you have the same physical challenges as if you were carrying around an extra 75 pounds. One thing I found fascinating I was looking at the pictures that it posts on Facebook, and I noticed in the left corner it says Ed Fink Photography. And then all of a sudden it struck me wait a second, that's a legible signature. I can actually make out that that signature. His well. handwriting became more legible and retirement? I don't know what
1: mm-hmm. happened, Joe. Yeah. It's very
3: simple. It's called capitalism. I paid somebody to give me a legible oh, <laughs> signature. Oh, perfect. That I could put on my put on my photography. Right. You she know what? Does. Hold
1: on. One more. One other thing, though, about Ed. And, and you know, uh, so many of us, Ed, see you as like uh, simply money, Ed Fink. But I don't think you ever saw yourself. That way. You saw yourself as a husband and a father and Mueller alumni and so many, other you know, a veteran, so many other things, because I think that a lot of people identify themselves like their whole sense of identity is wrapped up in the job.
3: Well, oh, sure. And, and and if that is you, once again, you, you do have to know yourself, because when you go into retirement, if your entire identity is wrapped up in the job, and even more importantly, if your entire circle of friends is wrapped up in the job, then you better think long and hard about what how you're going to replace either that identity or those friends, because like Nathan said, social isolation is just a killer. Well, so you I- must
1: have a lot of friends, because for the record... Um, you, you know, we beg you to come around, and you're really busy. <laughs> the man took we a picture. You.
2: The man took a picture of a red fox in his backyard. How many hours did you wait for that shot? I had to wait a couple hours for that fox
3: to a come around, but you know, it was it was worth it. As a fantastic dri- shot.
2: As you're as you're driving home tonight, ask yourself: Are you cut with the kind of a personality where you might sit and enjoy your backyard until? A wild animal just happens to come right into your lens view. It takes a certain amount of patience. Well,
3: no, in, in, fa- far- in, in, in fairness, I, I had seen this. I, I had kind of rough idea what the pattern was of this fox and when it would appear at dusk. So it wasn't like totally random. I sat down and hoped the fox would come by. Well, but, thank, but yes, it, it did take a little bit of forethought. Yeah, and your
2: granddaughter, too. That half a pound of grand ch- ground chucking, you, you yes, too can yes, find Ed's yeah. granddaughter,
1: Fred though, Fox. playing a huge role in your retirement oh, because absolutely. she's Nova's four, she's adorable, and you get to spend more time with her. Oh, oh
3: and, and that's something you can't put a price tag on, mm-hmm. absolutely.
2: I don't want to say that they're close, but I think Ed is going to go to nursery school with Nova <laughs> next year, and now they can kind of go through the experience again. You'll listen to Simply Money on Nathan Beckrack along with Amy Wagner as we have been enjoying a discussion with one of the co-founders of Simply Money and now a re- the retired guy, and that would be our dear friend Ed Fink. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. <laughs> you will to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrag, along with Amy Wagner, joined this evening by co-founder of Simply Money, Ed Fink, now known as the retired guy to report back from the frontier of retirement as to whether or not he's been able to successfully navigate the slings and arrows of uh, what must be exciting to no longer have the routines that you had before in 2008. You and uh, you and I sat in a studio, and we watched the, the financial markets go collapse by about 50%. You made some observations about money then that have stuck with you ever since and are particularly relevant now that you're retired.
3: Well, I think one key thing to remember about markets is they definitely go up and down. There's no question about that. Trees don't grow to the sky. I mean, we're, we're in a 10-year growth pattern right now. It's not going to last forever. We're going to run into another recession, whether it's next year or two years or five years from now. It's going to happen. Markets are going to sell off. And what we have seen historically is this, and this gets into spending patterns in retirement, and most importantly, the ability to sleep in retirement. But what history would tell us is this about markets, is that if you look at the worst market downturns, like the 0809. If you had had gone into that with three to four years worth of living expenses outside of your investments in cash in cash. You could have left your mar- your your investments very aggressively invested and they would have gone down dramatically and then they would have come back up dramatically and after three or three to four years would have been back to the point they had been before you went through all of that drama. So one of the things that I took into retirement with me is, is that concept. So obviously this year has been a bit of a roller coaster ride. It's been right. up and down. You but know. let's
1: remember your last show was in December. Exactly. of last year yes. and what happened right during that time the markets absolutely tanked
3: yeah and, and but you know here's where i was i had three to four years worth of what i knew was going to be my living expenses that i needed to take out of my investments basically in cash very short-term bonds very short-term with little or no market or interest rate risk so it allows me the, the luxury of reading headlines and saying yeah that was a bad day but it's not going to affect me because because here's my approach if I take a year's worth of income out of that cash, and then a year from now the market does what it normally has done in a year and goes up, then I sell enough shares to replenish that year's worth of income that I took out. If, in fact, the market is down at that point, I'd say, you know something, I still have three years' worth of income here that I'm not going to have to sell shares at a loss to, to take income. Because that's the challenge. Because that's the challenge. So, you know, if two years from now— The market's still down. I still have two years' worth, and if history is any indication, two years down the road, things are going to be back where they were because that's what has always happened in the past.
2: You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack, along with Amy Wagner. Joined this evening, I'm happy to say, feels like old times by the retired guy now, co-founder of the Simply Money program and firm, Ed Fink. One thing I've observed about Ed in retirement is this. Standard of living. Did not change one bit. We often see retirees start spending a lot more money, and Lord knows if there was a car out there that you would have wanted, you would have gone and bought it. In fact, as I understand it, you and cars are sort of going in the opposite direction.
3: I'm my herd a bit now at this point, but, but that has, but here, here's, you, you also know, just
1: got back from a two week long vacation. Great,
3: great vacation. Yes. And I want to touch on that in a moment too, because vacations after retirement take on a whole new perspective than while, while you're working. But you know, back to, back to you, back to your point, Nathan, um, um, from, 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 from the, what was your point?
2: well we were talking about lifestyle <laughs> from the change. from the
3: standpoint you know you had made this this point in the past sustainable lifestyle going yeah. into retirement in other words you're taking out enough income i mean you're you're spending money as you approach retirement that's gonna kind of equate to the amount of income you have coming in after retirement. So once you hit retirement, you're not taking these dramatic steps backward. And I think that's so critically important. That's something I tried to do and something that I am continuing to be able to do, thankfully, is is, you know, not be having to take a step backward because I my lifestyle going in wasn't to the point that I was not going to be able to sustain it afterwards. Which is
1: interesting because we were just talking about some research today that said that most Americans would prefer uh, to not make changes to their lifestyle now and pay them forward and then cut back when they're in retirement. Oh, my gosh.
3: Um, It's very short-sighted. I can't tell you how how depressing that would be. Yeah. And and I understand that it happens. But, you know, Amy, you made the point about vacations because I I just— you know, so much about retirement is mental too. I mean,
2: a lot of it. Not you know,
3: certainly the the, the financial part is important.
2: Well, didn't Yogi Berra say that eighty-five uh, percent of retirement is half mental? Yeah, something something <laughs> like that.
3: But from from the standpoint of taking vacation in the past, first of all, I had never been able to take longer than a one-week vacation in my entire working career. And when you take a one-week vacation, I mean, you know what happens? It takes you two or three weeks, through two or three days to wind down. And then you have like two days of actual vacation. And then you have, you know, two or three days where you're thinking about what's going to happen when I get back to the office. Well, when you're retired, at least for me being retired and just getting back from a two week, two week vacation, which I had never taken in my entire amazing. life. I was on vacation from day one because I wasn't dragging any baggage along. And with a couple of days to go, all I had to worry about was getting home and getting Harley out of Doggy Hotel. Yeah,
2: And this you is know. this from a man. Who is not, when you take a look at the, the fact that the average person spends three and a half hours viewing their cell phone, these words from a guy who was never wedded to his phone. Y- your phone, your philosophy always was his car phone. Call me in the car. Otherwise, forget about it. You're not staring at your phone. Well, the other
3: long. thing on the vacation that, that we did was we did not have the television set on in two weeks. And let me tell you, if you want to recharge your batteries, don't turn the TV on for two weeks. And that doesn't mean you're not without news, because obviously, every time you look at your phone, there's something flashing, a, 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 you know, uh, across it. But it's not droning on in the background. And, and I think this was this was two week vacation was the best that we ever had.
2: Words to retire by from Ed Fink, co founder of Simply Money. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55 KRC, the talk station. Uh, just ahead. Uh, how are local uh, law enforcement officials making your roads safer uh, with your cooperation when you speed? We'll talk about that just ahead. You'll listen to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Beck, along with Amy Wagner, joined by the founder, uh, co-founder of Simply Money, Ed Fink. That uh, intro there, tribute to Ginger Baker, the great drummer who played with Jack Bruce and Derek Clapton in Cream in 1966, who passed away today at the age of 80. Making roads safer, I think that's at least, uh, you know, uh, one of the objectives. Uh, Law enforcement now handing out a lot more tickets in a 12-hour stretch. Drivers along Interstate 75 in Northern Kentucky, Got an astounding 281 Whoa. tickets. There's a reason why they're hours. focusing
1: a- efforts in northern Kentucky. It's because I live there. Let's just face it. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I am a magnet. If there is any kind of, like, moving violation of any kind, stop sign rolling through, or I'm going to get busted every I'm seven,
2: time. I'm seven, eight years without a ticket, but... Uh, Guy,
3: retired big guy, guy over the big guy who here. has the
1: fast cars I, so you've never gotten a ticket
2: I, well I've lived
3: an extremely charmed life because apparently it's, 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 you're telling me it's not for lack it's not for lack of trying I've some of the seen cars you. that I've driven mm-hmm. um, but I think I've had like three tickets in my life I haven't had one in 30 or 40 years and again it's not for lack of trying but um, what they're doing is uh, they're two things here they're trying to obviously to cut down on on uh, on accidents, which is kind of the headline of what they're doing. Sure. But the other thing is revenue. I mean, yeah. let's face it, they bring in bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well. Uh- Yes, yeah, so 159 injury crashes in that stretch in 2018, up from 154 the year before. Right, so wrong,
2: wrong direction.
1: Yes, four people killed in crashes in that area, and then one passed away in 2017. So um, definitely a great reason for the crackdown there. But you're right, money. Also going back to the fact that like if someone's going to get busted, it's going to be me. Last week we had a Simply Money event um, at the Art of Retirement at the Art Museum. It was fantastic. Uh, and Kevin Rue, our photographer, and I left there to go to a retirement party uh, just a few blocks away and we get there and I pull up to this meter and it is nine o'clock at night and I say to Kevin who's like the or, like you know I just what what Kevin tells me to do I just do and so I said I should I pay this meter and he says no it's nine o'clock no one's I go in for no, <laughs> no plugs joke the meter at 9, 40 minutes later I come out and I have a 45 dollar oh, parking oh, ticket oh Amy yes Yes, you get, I blame you know, Kevin.
2: A little mistechnology. technology. It's and
1: never yet somehow my fault. I don't think you had. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll
2: you tell probably you. probably could have done that with an app, I, I'll tell Exactly. You, I'll tell you. By
3: the way, who really loves speeding tickets? Insurance companies because oh. it gives them an excuse whether you've ever had an accident. If you get a speeding ticket, they could, they'll they jack up your, your insurance rate. I don't know whether just one, but certainly get a couple of them. You're going to be paying right. a lot more. So well, t-
1: one actually could increase your rate by as much as like 30-plus percent. Ooh. That, right. that keep, hurts. Keep in
2: mind, those 281 tickets that got passed out, 88 for speeding, 42 because you didn't have insurance, which I think is wonderful they caught people without insurance because yep, yep. that ultimately costs everyone else except the person who doesn't have the coverage in the first place. 17 for expired registrations, which is really a stupidity uh, uh, ticket, I guess. And 20 for driving under a suspended license. Hmm. The troublesome part for me is that only nine were pulled over for texting. Trust me, I think if you sit along the highway, half the people you're driving with these days are texting while driving.
1: I talk to text, not necessarily while I'm driving, but then you have to go back and like use a decoder ring for my text messages because like you can't figure out what I'm saying.
2: Well, I will tell you, talk about moving on down the highway. Ed Fink, co-founder of Simply Money, will do just that. Move on down the Great highway. Great to be here, guys. It's fun. Thank you for coming. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully at some point in the future when you come back uh, in, please. Uh, when your unstructured <laughs> day brings you along Kemper Road, you'll wander into our studio and give everyone who loves you an update again. On how you're doing, and you're doing just great. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. We are the talk station.
0: Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere.